we see it and, and we think about it as we did our lesson here this week, didn't we? And it's really one of the themes throughout our study of Deuteronomy is the theme of remembering, the importance of remembering, the intentionality of remembering, remembering what God has done and remembering the Lord's faithfulness on a nation, on a people, on his people, and on a life, right? And your life and my life, his faithfulness. So it's really good to stop and intentionally think about the theme of remembering. So this morning we have the privilege of hearing from two lives that the Lord has been faithful in and, and is faithful through. Uh, the first one is Amber Trowbridge. So many of you already know Amber. You may know her this year as your uh, discussion group leader, or perhaps she was your leader last year, um, or has, you've been in a group with her. She's been involved with our Ministry of Habits of the Heart for several years, and we're thankful for Amber for many in many ways. But this morning, you get to hear from her as she shares her story on the Lord's faithfulness in her life. In addition to Amber, you, we have the privilege and the joy of hearing from uh, Marianne Culp. Now, Marianne is a face that will look familiar to you if you've had little ones through the years that you've passed over the counter over there in the nursery to, to love on, to pray for your little one. Um, so Marianne has served within the Ministry of Habits for several years. And this morning, she's willing to step up and share her story in the Lord's faithfulness in her life. Uh, so we look forward to hearing from you both. Thank you. All right. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Amber Trowbridge, and I thank you for being here today to hear my story and the story of Mary Ann's. Have you ever listened to someone tell the story of how they and their spouse met? One of those stories that has a magical quality of a love at first sight moment and living in blissful happiness ever after? Or maybe it was a high school sweetheart story that's romantic and full of sappy moments and beautiful twists that leads you to know that they were meant to be. And as you listen, you feel that little twinge of jealousy because your story seems somehow a little plain or ordinary compared to theirs. Well, for years, I must admit, that's how I felt about testimonies. Retreat after retreat, and time and time again, I would hear these amazing stories of transformation where an individual was picked up from the depths of despair by finding the Lord in their salvation, the result being a beautiful account of redemption and restoration and repentance. My own account seemed a little lackluster and a little plain, a story without a real moment of climax and no noticeable turning point. Kind of silly to think that way. But that was until I was asked to write my testimony and that was when I realized it. I realized that God had written a beautiful story for me too. My story is one of God's perseverance, his preparation, and much like in the life of the Israelites, God's persistent presence. Also like the Israelites, I have to review my history to be reminded of what God had done. The early part of my story began in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where my father was attending seminary. My parents were following what they believed to be their calling and preparing for a life of service to the Lord. 
I was their second child, but not to be their last. Just before I started kindergarten, my dad accepted a position as a pastor in Indianapolis at the church where he and my mother had met. We moved back to my mother's hometown in Brownsburg. According to my grandfather, when they came to get us, I traveled back standing next to him with my arm around his neck in the front of his pickup from Tennessee to Indianapolis. We moved into my grandparents' house and my parents continued their life of ministry. This point in my life is characterized by Sunday morning church service, Wednesday night service, and many, many church pitch-ins and events. I remember with fondness sitting in the pew with my head on my mother's lap, listening to my dad preach. Sunday school taught by my grandmother, and on Wednesday evenings, searching out my great aunt and great grandma that I might sit with them and sneak a piece of candy during service. I thought I was so lucky to attend a church where most of my family went. Not to mention, I always got to go on the youth group events, whether it be Putter Kings Island, because my parents were always the chaperones. It was during this time that I accepted Christ as my savior. I can't pinpoint a date, but I can be sure that I accepted Christ had died for me and had risen again, that I may be saved and one day live with him in heaven. And it would be the one truth that I would hold tight to throughout the chapters of my life. Then one Sunday morning, the tone was different. I heard my dad saying something about stepping down and no longer being their pastor, being asked to leave. At the time, I was too young to understand what was really happening. And even now, I still don't really know what, what events led to this announcement. But there it was, for me, just a moment I would quickly move past. That was until later that morning. After service, my friends and I would run around the building playing hide and seek. I burst into my dad's office, and there he sat, his head in his hands, sobbing. I had never seen my dad cry before, and it was a pivotal po point in my life. Though I didn't understand the circumstances, I knew this group called the church had brought my dad to tears, and it would for years skew my view of the body of Christ. After leaving the church, our family started a small church in our home. Friends, family, and neighbors joined. It was a good time. The adults met in our living room and the kids in the basement. Many times we'd find ourselves around bonfires with my uncle playing the guitar and we would sing praises to the Lord. For a couple of years, this life went on and from my perspective, it seemed wonderful. Sadly, others didn't feel the same and the church we had begun came to an end. Once again, I felt the so-called church had deserted us and left us behind. I wondered why my parents had worked so hard to provide a place for them in our home if this was to be the outcome. Again, I wasn't privy to all the information and didn't understand what it took to build a church. This was also the time when two of the most influential people in my life, my grandparents, who, had lived, who we had lived with when first arriving and then had built a house next door so that we could buy theirs, sold their home and moved to the mountains of Tennessee. This would change not only my daily life, but also the daily Christian influences in my life as well. As a family, we tried various churches, settled on one for a while, got kind of involved, but little by little, we didn't seem to find our way to events, 
and then seemed to start missing service. And eventually, I found myself waking up around 10 a.m. on Sundays, fixing a leisurely breakfast, and lying around with my siblings watching TV. There were now five of us. My older brother, Matt, myself, my sister, Rachel, little brother, Morgan, and my baby sister, Jessica. I thought this lack of church and community was a phase. And I have to admit, I was kind of enjoying having a morning that didn't require getting ready and rushing out the door. But before long, it was just the way things were. Overhearing conversations of why we were out of the church body, I caught words like hypocrite and church politics. And as for learning about God, well, as the months and the years went by, the discussions of faith became more and more infrequent until they seemed to not happen at all. God, however, was faithful and made sure that I was not without an influence of faith in my life during this time, for he provided my grandmother. Each summer, I would travel to Tennessee where I would spend a few weeks. Somehow, it was always during this time that the vacation Bible school my grandmother ran happened to be held. And I would, of course, attend. She would teach us the stories of Moses and Jonah and more, all while emphasizing the importance of loving God and knowing that Christ had died to save each one of us. We also made our fair share of macaroni and gold spray paint crafts, played games, and sang songs. Sundays were spent at church, where the preacher led worship on his guitar, and I'm sure he used the same three chords for every song. I still find I can't sing I'll Fly Away without a bit of a twang. During the week, I would watch each morning as my grandmother would finish the breakfast dishes, head to her rocking chair, and have her quiet time with God. Her time to read scripture, a devotional, and to pray for all of her loved ones. These were God's moments to remind me of his constant presence and to set the example of a good and faithful servant. As I entered my junior high years, our family slowly began breaking down. Or maybe it had begun long before that. With life not being centered on God, we be all began to look for satisfaction and acceptance elsewhere. I turned to my friends and the rest of my family as they began to look for other sources. We began to grow distant from one another. Tension in the house became the norm. And for the most part, the only time we spent together was around the dinner table. At first, my mother did try her best to keep us together at evening meals and always fixed a special meal on Sundays at which we were all expected to be. In seventh and eighth grade, I could only escape this tension in the home by being on the phone. And at the time, this was on the wall in the kitchen where I had to pull the cord around to the basement steps and shut the door and hope that nobody had their ear pressed to the other side. Or the other option was shutting myself in my bedroom, the one I shared with my two sisters, hoping that they would stay out or find something else to do. For the most part, I found my siblings annoying and intrusive and did little to cultivate relationships with them. I loved them, but I just didn't allow myself to get to know them. I was self-absorbed, sassy, disrespectful, and as rebellious as my rule-following nature would allow. This generally meant not doing homework, wearing short skirts, and using foul language. I was much too afraid of getting into any real trouble to try anything worse. But with strict parents, and this was enough, and most of the time I was grounded 
which meant no phone, no friends, and a lot of nights in my room listening to hair bands and their rock ballads. I felt they understood me so well. I could always find a Tesla poison Bon Jovi or White Snake song that expressed exactly what I was thinking. And I guarantee you I had a mixtape for every mood. I did attend church during this stage of my life. Every Sunday morning, my dad would drive me to a local church and drop me off. I would enter by myself and rush to find my friends. I spent most of my time during service and Sunday mornings mooning over some boy because that was why I really had made the effort to get dressed and be there. I paid no attention to God's word or the message given, but as we all know, God's word does not return void, and I know that something during that time kept me connected to him. My high school years were nothing special. A little theater, marketing club, football games, dating, the usual. It wasn't a bad time, but it wasn't a great time either. Our family continued to unravel. My mom had been working for a few years now and was beginning her own business, a custom bridal shop. She spent long hours in front of her sewing machine and took on as much work as she could. Family dinners, except for Sundays, had become a thing of the past. And though I did spend a good amount of time with my mom helping her with her work, I spent almost no time with my dad. He didn't seem to have much of an interest in me unless it was report card day, and that was only to give me my latest grounding because I had once again not met his expectations. When my parents were in the same house, they rarely spoke. And they did, when they did, it was fighting behind closed doors. By this time, I had absolutely no interest in my brothers and sisters. In fact, I was cold and even cruel to them on many occasions. I spent less and less time at home and more and more time with friends or looking for approval from boys. Though I displayed self-confidence, I never felt it. I needed someone to tell me I was valuable, I was worthy, and I was wanted. I wasn't sure at the time how to describe myself in terms of faith at that leg of the race. I knew without a doubt that Christ was my savior, but I had no solid foundation with which to back it. So when asked, I often deflected. I also began to believe that most people who claimed to be Christians lived one life in public and another at home. I saw this in my dad as his, in his relationships at work where he appeared to show a strong commitment to his faith versus his lack of Christian leadership in our home. It's now time to turn the page to my college years. I became a student at IUPUI and began working my, to pay my way through college. One of my favorite between class and work activities was to hang out at my mom's shop. This is where I met a seamstress who was intriguing and took an interest in me. One day, she mentioned that she wanted to set me up with her brother. I almost said no. I had been on more than one unfortunate blind date, and I wasn't sure I wanted to take that chance again. But this time, something seemed different. And so I went, and I'm grateful I did, because I met the man I would one day marry. That, however, is a different story that I won't get to today. As I began developing a relationship with Roy and his family, my family's story came to a dividing point. One evening, my parents sat us down to tell us of their separation and impending divorce. I won't say I was surprised, but I was no less devastated, angry, or hurt. As with any divorce, the only ones who know what really went wrong are God and the two people involved. But I could see that this marriage that was built on a flawed foundation 
not, no longer based on God, was never corrected, and had not been attended to, had little chance of survival. The result was unmet expectations, anger, bitterness, and broken hearts. Shortly after their divorce, both my parents remarried. My mom, her new husband, and my three younger siblings moved to Germany. My brother and I were both given the opportunity to go with them, but we had begun to establish lives of our own here and weren't prepared to leave. So we stayed behind. From my dad's second marriage, along with a stepmother, we gained a nine-year-old brother and a new baby brother. I found dealing with all the emotions, the new family members, and the hurt from the upheaval in my family difficult and sometimes unbearable. I threw myself into as much as I could to be distracted. I worked full-time, took a full class load, had a part-time job, and took on whatever office I was nominated for in my sorority. I became dependent on Roy and his family and spent much time, as much time as I could with them. But, as always, God did not draw back from me. If anything, he worked to draw me nearer to him during this difficult time. A man named Jim would be inserted into my life just at the moment before my parents' divorce. Jim was a pastor of a small church in Carmel, and to make ends meet, he worked alongside me at a bank. Jim and I had an instant connection. I felt safe discussing faith and theology with him, something I had never known before. Of course, our version of discussion was me looking for loopholes in what I had been taught to justify the lifestyle I had decided to lead, and he would gently share scripture to show me that those loopholes weren't really there. Jim and his wife invited me and Roy to a Bible study that we would attend for about two years. This not only showed me God's presence, but also led Roy to his faith and gave us the strength to work through the loss of Roy's mother to cancer when Roy was only 26 and just a few years after she'd come into my life. Observing Jim was also one of the first notable times I had truly seen a man act out his faith in both work and family. I went through several job changes through college, and God was faithful to set before me good, strong Christian men who would show me the truth of living in the world, but not of the world, which I desperately needed to see at the time. Quickly, six years passed. Roy and I got engaged, bought a little house in Speedway, got married, and just months after our wedding, we're excited to announce that we were expecting a baby. After Kayla was born, I realized I wanted to raise her in the church. I wanted for my children the fond memories and love for Christ that I had from an early childhood. So the church shopping began. We went to one church after another, but I couldn't find what I wanted. Every church we went to had flaws. I mean, seriously, can you imagine that? Flaws? It was either I didn't like the pastor, the music wasn't moving, not enough people said hello, or too many people said hello. And of course, it didn't help that our daughter got kicked out of almost every nursery because she wouldn't quit crying. And then, oh, the struggles of getting the kids ready and out the door was just painful, because by now we had two. So many Sundays, we didn't even make the attempt. The skewed vision of the church body that I had from past experience made it almost impossible for me to accept a church because I wanted perfection. And so I continued to find excuses not to commit. 
I soon decided to be a stay-at-home mom with two tiny, frustrating children, a little mini Amber and a mini Roy. But I found I had a void. I knew something was missing, so I tried to fill it with the usual playgroups, Martha Stewart-level cooking, which sadly I'm saying I could only make chicken and no sides. I feel sorry for Roy. House projects and more, but nothing seemed to work. And then one afternoon, I was driving home from visiting Roy at work. I passed a church we had attended once, and out front was a sign, Habits of the Heart Bible Study. I called the number posted and found myself talking to this sweet, gentle woman who explained to me the topic of the study, the times, and that childcare was provided for the entire two hours. I had heard all I needed to hear. By now, I was the mother of three tornadoes under the age of four, and childcare for two hours sounded heavenly. And oh, that little topic they were studying, I'm sure would be fine. I mean, it was only Isaiah. How hard could that be? At the time, I thought God was filling a void or maybe providing me with some rest. What I would later learn was that God was preparing the way for what would be the most difficult time in my life. About three months into the study, the kids, none of which had gotten kicked out yet, were enjoying their classes. I was trying to keep up with the work, but mostly enjoyed coming to the lectures and the open adult discussion. Then one Friday morning, or Friday afternoon, that November, my world was turned upside down. My dad called. From his voice, I knew immediately the worst had happened, which three words, he confirmed it. Morgan is dead. Morgan, my little brother, the kid who had annoyed me as a teenager and who had pestered my friends, he had fought with me over TV and was immature and antagonistic, had joined the Marines right out of high school. That, November, or that September at age 23, he had left for his second tour in Iraq. I was brought to my knees to learn that he had been killed by a sniper while protecting his unit. This, this was one of those times when being selfish, cold, and cruel as a teenager came back to haunt me. The relationship I had been waiting to have, waiting until he was mature enough, waiting until I had time, waiting, well, now it was too late. Morgan's death drove our family into the depths of despair. Some of us suffered depression. Some tried to avoid the reality of it. Some immersed themselves so deeply into causes related to the Marines that we lo they lost sight of the rest of us. There were members of my family that were so angry and hurt they turned their backs on God. There were members who sought solace and rest in Him while others of us fought somewhere in between just to keep our head above water. For me, I was blessed, but I wouldn't know it until years later. I didn't attend habits for the rest of that fall. I just couldn't be, bring myself to be around people. I didn't want anyone to see how broken I was or to try and fix me with kind words, compassion, 
or to be seen as someone to be pitied. But one Wednesday morning in January, as I was fixing breakfast, my four-year-old asked, Mommy, when are we going back to Wednesday church? I miss my class. I took a deep breath, and holding the air in for a moment, I slowly let it out, and I said, Today, honey, we're going back today. From that point on, we went every Wednesday that we could. I'm not sure I understood any of the lessons or truly heard the lectures or even tried to participate in discussions. I'm not even sure I did any of the homework. But I was there, and as we know, God's word does not return void. God's persistent presence. That was 12 years ago. Since that time, I have seen how God has protected, provided, and prepared the way for me that I might seek him no matter what circumstances I find myself in, and I still continue to find myself in difficult circumstances. But my void has been filled. I set aside my skeptical view of the church and immerse myself in the body. I learned that there is no perfect church. Churches are made up of human beings, all of whom are broken and flawed, but we all are coming together with the desire to worship and honor God. My husband and I have now been married for 17 years and have five wonderful children. And God continues to be a persistent presence in my life. He has blessed me with a husband who works alongside me to grow our family with a Christian worldview. A close group of friends made up of women who are strong in faith, prayer warriors, and encourage me to be the wife and mother God has called me to be. I continue to work through the grief of the loss of my family unit and of my brother. It is a daily battle because it affects everything I do, from the way I parent, to the way I react to my husband, to the way I involve myself with my friends and family. But God provides me the strength to get through it. I am still working to cultivate relationships with my siblings. It's sometimes messy and frustrating, and I see the effects of the distance I created and sometimes still create through my selfish behavior. But I continue to pray for their forgiveness and that our bonds will be strengthened. This is the fourth time to write my testimony. And just like the seemingly repetitive speeches of Moses to the Israelites, it is a story I need to hear over and over. Lest I forget the Lord who saved me. What story is it that you need to hear? Good morning. My name is Mary Ann Culp. <clears throat> I've been married for 54 years and have a wonderful husband, Tom. We have two married children, Jeff and Sonia, five grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. My life has been blessed with these children and grandchildren, and I am so thankful to have a family to love and cherish. <clears throat> when I was asked to give my personal testimony to you this year, I was pretty sure of, unsure of my ability to do this, along with the fact that I am very timid when in front of a large group. It took me several weeks to say yes, but I was reminded in a recent message one Sunday <clears throat> that I was to keep, share my story and not to keep it to myself and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I have been reminded in scripture <clears throat> 
that God is always there to guide and direct you when you feel so lacking in your abilities. Just like the time when Moses told God that he, would, that he was slow of speech, slow of tongue, and not an eloquent speaker. But God told him to go, that he would be his mouth and teach him what he was to say. So I began to pray about this time here this morning and ask the Lord to help me prepare and give me strength needed to present my testimony. I definitely am not an eloquent speaker, but I'm encouraged by these words from Jesus that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My faith in Jesus Christ began when I was a young girl, <clears throat> around the age of 12. My memory of the ex exact age is not clear as I have nothing written down or any clear memory of the exact date. <clears throat> I did not grow up in a Christian family, although we were a very loving and morally-based family. I have one sister, Sandy, one living brother, Howard, and one de deceased brother, David. As a young girl, I was a it was a desire for my sister and my brothers to go to church and Sunday school. So mom and dad would drive us to, to church and drop us off and then be back to pick us up when church was dismissed. On rare occasions, they would go with us. We lived on a farm, so Sunday morning chores weren't finished as early as other weekdays, and mom and dad looked upon this day as a day to rest and take it easy and not for them to go to church. One summer, the church was having revival meetings, and my sister and I wanted to attend. During the meetings, an altar call was made for those wanting to confess their sin and accept Jesus as their Savior. I was deeply moved and went forward scared, crying, and wanting to be saved. This was a fire and brimstone message that day, so I was sure I wanted to accept Jesus into my life. Then and there, my faith in Jesus was established. I didn't know much about the Bible, but I knew in my heart that I was saved and Jesus loved me. When we got home that evening, we told mom and dad about going forward and being saved, and they were happy for us, but that was about all the encouragement we got. I don't even remember there being a Bible in our home. I continued to go to church and Sunday school and somehow obtained a small New Testament Bible. As time went on, I became involved with the CYF, the Christian Youth Fellowship, when I was a teenager. <clears throat> this is where my faith began to grow and have a deeper meaning for me. Our pastor's wife was very involved with our youth group and encouraged reading scripture and praying. She showed a very sincere interest in each individual and that was very impressive to me as I was such a shy and quiet person. When I graduated from high school, I was presented with a Bible by the church. That, that was my very first, and I treasure it to this very day. <clears throat> After high school, my faith was stuck in a rut for several years. Yes, I believed in the Ten Commandments, John 3.16, and all the outstanding Bible stories, and especially Christmas and Easter, but did not have a personal walk with Jesus until after I married and had children of my own. Tom and I were both lukewarm Christians when we married in 1962. Our children, Jeff born in 1964 and Sonia born in 1965, yes, they're just 14 months apart, it made my life very busy caring for our home and the little ones. And we went to church only sometimes. In April 1968, my dad died suddenly from cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 54. 
This was quite a blow to our family, and I was so sad because he wasn't a believer, and I knew he wouldn't be in heaven when I got there, and my children would never know him as such a good man he was. <clears throat> he loved Jeff and Sonia and was very proud to be a grandfather. Then sometime in the early 70s, Tom and I knew we needed to be in a church family and have our two children know God too. We began attending church on a regular basis and recommitted our lives to Jesus. We went on feebly rooted until we were making a big move from Zionsville to another state in 1974. Tom was changing employment and we were moving to Denver, Colorado. Once there, we found ourselves in a Bible-rooted church, and Tom and I were both baptized in 1976. This is when my walk with Jesus finally took a deeper root within me, and I wanted to have a closer relationship with him. Both our children were developing their faith in Christ, too, and were baptized soon after this. <clears throat> also in 1976, my youngest brother, David, died in July at the age of 28. He worked for a factory as an electrician, but on this particular day, he had a call to repair a high-voltage wire and was electrocuted while working on that repair. He left behind a wife, a three-year-old daughter, and a one-month-old daughter. His wife was a believer and assured me that David knew the Lord. That was quite a relief for me as I didn't want him to be like Dad without a savior. Then in 1978, Tom and I were faced with making another move back to Zionsville due to Tom's new employment in Indianapolis. <clears throat> Jeff would be a freshman in high school and Sonia in the sixth grade. This, was, this really had us praying a lot that the new job would go well and that our children would feel accepted in their new schools. Our daughter, Sonia, was a special education student and finding her the right school system was a great concern for both of us. <clears throat> At that time, Zionsville was just embarking on a special education program for students, and we were given the opportunity to, to allow Sonia to attend Bright Pike Township schools where the special education programs were well in place and highly recommended. So we chose Pike Township, and, gave so and Sonia graduated from high school there. We thank God she was well taken care of, and she is a beautiful lady today. Jeff attended Zionsville High School, and he was a good student, but fell into drugs his junior year. And thanks to the Lord Jesus, he gave them up at the end of his senior year. Graduated and went on to Purdue University, and then graduated from Purdue in 1987. We love Jeff dearly, and he is a very successful businessman today. <clears throat> After moving back to Zionsville in 1978 and wanting to be in a church family, we went back to the church we had left when moving away to Colorado. But the church had changed in many ways. The minister had changed and a new one was soon coming in and the teaching was only mediocre and our growth was put on hold again. I knew in my heart that I loved Jesus and wanted a closer, more meaningful relationship with the Lord. I was involved with the women's fellowship, uh, women's fellowship group and other Christian women looking for a way to develop that longing. But actually, I was just going through the motions of living a Christian life. 
Our son Jeff married in 1984 to a lovely Christian girl. And it wasn't long after that that we were confronted about our Christian faith and walk with Jesus. We knew then that we must change churches and learn how to have a deeper, more obedient walk with Jesus. Then in 1989, we began attending Zionsville Fellowship. God knew exactly where he wanted us. I was learning things about church life and a relationship with Jesus in a completely different way. My eyes and heart were opened, and I am so thankful for the, the, way, the many ways that God has worked in our, my life. I began attending BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, and my love for Christ grew even deeper roots. I began attending Habits of the Heart about 10 years ago and have been growing in the Word of God and, and serving in the children's ministry. <clears throat> Currently, I am the co-coordinator in the infant-toddler area, and I love caring for the little ones, and I'm so thankful that I can serve in this capacity. I didn't mention my mom earlier. She died in March 2005 at the age of 84. She had, her health had declined and she wasn't able to live alone anymore, so my sister and I had to place her in a nursing home in 2002. She didn't like living there, but she made the most of it and seemed quite mostly content. <clears throat> I know she was saved as my niece had led her in a prayer to accept Jesus as her savior. After that, she began reading her Bible, which was very precious to me, knowing that she would go to heaven. One day when I was visiting with mom, she said to me, do you see that bright light over there by my closet door? I answered her that I did not, but I am sure now that it was Jesus showing her the way to heaven's door. It wasn't long after that that she died from congestive heart failure. Someday I'll get to see her again. I am still learning and developing my walk with God. Yes, I stumble and get off track, but the Holy Spirit is always there waiting at my door, picking me up and keeping me by his side and always giving me strength and encouragement to look ahead for his reward of life everlasting. I am so grateful for the promise of Jesus in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave nor forsake you. As you have heard, there have been many times in my life that, has been, that this has been a great help to me and I have, as I have stumbled and struggled with my walk with the Lord. I have felt compared to share this most recent event in my life. <clears throat> this past week, my faith was put to the test again. My daughter, Sonia, My daughter, Sonia, suffered a grand mal seizure last week at her daycare. She had been diagnosed with epilepsy when she was nine years old. In the beginning, it was only pedomal seizures. Then when puberty came along, her body chemistries changed and she experienced two grand mal's as a, as a teenager. After that, she stayed controlled with, by medication and was seizure free. For some unknown reason last week, things went astray and she had another grand mal. She took a hard fall and bruised her left forehead very badly. So when I got the phone call to go to the ER, I was very anxious and nervous. I immediately prayed for God to be with Sonia. I also asked my small group to pray for her. Thanks be to God, she is improving and is back at work this week. So God is so, so faithful in supplying all our needs. I know that he has been with us in so many ways, big and small.
His grace and mercy is sufficient and surrounds us all the time. Also this past week, I learned that my brother, Howard, who lives in Iowa, will be having open heart surgery on November 21st. He is not a believer, so I have a lot of praying to do for him for a successful surgery and also a willingness to hear about Jesus. Whenever I tell him that I'm praying for him, he quickly changes the subject. He doesn't want to hear about it. But I am confident God can do miracles and open his hardened heart to hear the message of Jesus. I thank you all for bearing with me this morning, and I thank the Lord God for giving me the strength and ability to speak. Praise be to the God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you.